0: This is a podcast from 2MBS Fine Music Sydney.
1: Hello, I'm Simon Moore. Welcome to In Conversation on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. My guest today is an American soprano who continues to astonish audiences with her moving portrayals of opera's greatest heroines. Leah Crocetto has performed across America, performing such seminal roles as Turandot, Otello, and Norma in venues from Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center and the Metropolitan Opera. She's also sung the title role of Aida with Opera Australia and is about to appear as Leonora in Il Trovatore, So I'm delighted she's taken the time to be in conversation with me today. Leah Crocetto, welcome to 2MBS Fine Music Sydney.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Now, you've performed as Leonora in Il Trovatore a number of times already in the United States. Is this role a special one for you? Yeah,
0: it's the role that has been with me the longest. I have performed her across the world, actually, not just in the States. It was my very first role that I learned. When I did my San Francisco Opera audition for the Marilla Young Artist Program, Mark, uh, Mark Morash and Sherry Greenerwald asked me to learn this role. And so I did in like three days. And I sang the arias, and um, it's what I made my European debut singing in Opera um, National de Bordeaux in I think 2009 or 10, something like that. So it's been with me. I've done about one every year, every other year. year. Every year, not
1: that often. For those unfamiliar with it, can you tell us what the opera's about?
0: Oh gosh, it's the most uh, twisted tale in all of opera, I think. (laughs) It's the story makes absolutely no sense, but the music is profound. You've got the, trobatore, the the troubadour, the, the, the lover, The he's a, a gypsy, his mother, in quotation marks, who we find out later really isn't his mother, is the head of the gypsy camp, but she's this crazy lady, and um, she kidnapped him from the royal family when he was a baby. And it turns out she threw her own child on a fire and burned the baby. Oh, I, I mean, who writes these things? I don't <laughs> even know. It's a twisted tale, but the music is legendary. And Leonora it falls in love with the hero, and it's about them chasing each other around and finally reuniting in the Count, who is the baritone, of course, because the baritones are always the villains. The Count is in love with Leonora and tries to kidnap her back. And it ends up being a big duel. And there's a an epic trio right at the very beginning that sort of paints the picture of the rest of the opera. And then it ends with, of course, the soprano killing herself to save her man. Because, because that's, that's what you do. What happens? <laughs> (laughs) with the soprano, I guess. (laughs) Goodness
1: me. I mean, you you said you've performed it so many times Mm -hmm. in America and Europe. Uh, and you're about to perform it here. What do you have to do differently when you perform it with, with different different companies? Is there anything that, that's a challenge there?
0: Yes, quite a challenge. Um, but the opera world is very small, so there's always a member of the cast or, or a music staff or a director that I've worked with before. But the challenge is the, the different takes that the director has on the production. And with Trobatore... It is such that the productions often take on symbolic or um, there's not a lot of realism, I will no. say, in this kind of, of opera when, when the story is so twisted like that. Leonora, to me, even though I've done her the most, I've performed her the most, It's it's the most difficult role mentally for me. Mm. I don't find her a feminist at all. I don't find her on the cusp of strength which the other characters that i portray i i do i find like, i can say aida aida the the you know the epitome of strength there yeah. And even Desdemona, which is another uh, my second, well, maybe just after Aida, um, maybe my third most performed role. Right. Um, even with Desdemona, I can find I can find strength in her. But I finally in order to be a little bit of a ditz. She's, you know, there's not much going on upstairs. <laughs> but in my last production that I did of Trovatore, I I truly found almost a friendship with her character in a way where mm. I understood. A little bit more about what makes her tick, and I do hope we. I don't know anything about the production here that we're doing because we haven't actually started rehearsals yet, but I've seen my costumes, and I do hope that Davide Livermore will will explore that that mental position with her, yeah. with with me about her. So that that's a that's a challenge mm. for me is is figuring out where the which direction the director wants to mm. take it and. I, I also find that I I have an acting background. that's what my education is in. It was acting. And um, I find it that I sort of dive deeper into that side of, of things that, than many of my colleagues, and a lot of a lot of times we end up having conversations about it in rehearsal and which which is a wonderful experience. So it depends on who I'm who I'm on stage with. And thankfully, in this cast, I know, the woman playing Azucena is one of my best friends in the whole world, Elena Gaburi. She was Omneris with me and Aida here last season. So, and um, Young Hoon is a wonderful, wonderful colleague and, yeah, so and man, thing. and just it'll be great to play opposite him so i know those two i've never met the others but it will be great yeah. i know it it's always an adventure <laughs> isn't it yeah
1: so i think we have to have a bit of music now what have you got for us first no?
0: oh the first thing is by verdi from the opera il trovatore it's d'amor su la Le rose and it is performed by the legend leontine price
1: Leontine Price, the fantastic soprano we just heard there for, well, a little bit of Il Trovatore. And uh, that role will be performed by my guest in conversation today, the soprano Leo Crocetto. Leah, what is it about Leontine Price's singing that you particularly... Because you wanted you wanted us to hear that particular yes, uh, version. Yes, this
0: particular recording, because the way she sings and the way she approaches the role and all of the roles that she did is kind of how, how I do. I feel... That her portrayal is full of honesty and she's not trying to be anything other than what's there mm. and what her voice is. And I particularly love her, her use of color in, in the voice, the timbre of her voice. It's not so, you know, you have Montserrat Caballé singing this, this aria and then you compare that with Leontine Price. It's completely different. Montserrat Caballé takes it to another dynamic level. Completely, her with the Fiati, the the very floated pianissimi at the top, and you hear Leontine Price do it, and her color is very dolce or very sweet sounding at the top, but it's not necessarily soft. It mm. is, it is resonant and full, and I love the way she performs this mm. this aria.
1: Can you learn much by listening to recordings like this?
0: Absolutely. Mm. That's how I I would say I learned so much about myself as a performer from listening to these recordings and the other uh, pieces that you'll hear as well it's listening to recording you 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 hear what tradition is you hear what the great conductors asked for you you know i'm a complete music nerd and that i sit there with my score and i I say, oh, this is how she approached the piano. This is how she phrased that. Oh, it's OK to breathe in this spot. You know, all of those kind of things. It's, it's amazing. And I say, in order for me to make a decision to do a role or not, I always listen to a recording first. And then I decide if it's a role for me. I make the decision, then I put the recordings away Mm. because it's important for me also to make the role my own and interpret it how I feel it and how I I feel that the character would sing it. I'm not afraid to make an ugly sound for drama, you know, to sort of play with that with the the different sometimes an ugly sound is part of the drama isn't it exactly Mm. exactly the different parts of the of the character and and the emotions and but when i've when you've done a role as many times as i've done leonora you bring the recordings back out often you know and and it's been an interesting experience to do it at this point in my career Mm. as opposed to you know, 14 years ago when I started in the business. My voice is completely different now. So it's been a, a navigating trick. Yeah. To, is to is there something different. then
1: that you can do, you feel you can do now that you couldn't do all those years ago?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. What I can do now, the the flexibility I have in the middle and low range is something that I didn't have mm-hmm. when I was in my 20s, you know. It was a, a, a completely different animal. And the things that I did instinctually back then – specifically in this aria, the Damorso d'Ali Rose, I cannot do instinctually anymore. Uh, I have to do my technique, you know, mm. that I've worked so hard to learn. So it's it's putting all of the, the things that I've learned in the past together in this moment for this role.
1: Mm. You mentioned there before that you were sort of trained a bit as an actor, or at least that was kind of your your first thing. So was, was opera always a part of your life or was, was it, did it have a back seat back then?
0: No, opera has always been my goal. It has been what I have wanted to do. It is since I was 10 years old and I saw my very first opera, which was Carmen, and then I saw my second opera, which was Tosca. Tosca changed my life in that I heard my voice for the first time and I heard, and I was 11, and I, I was already imitating opera singers at that stage. <laughs> and I told my mother during intermission, I'm going to do that someday. That is what I want okay. to do. And I never lost sight of that. I used to get teased in school on career days. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to be an opera singer, I would say. And all the kids in my class would roll their eyes because I also can do other things. I, I've, you know, I have jazz and all of that stuff in my background as well. So they, in their mind, they, you know, opera is often misconstrued and there's a misconception about it not being entertaining or cutting edge or, or it's ancient and elite. It's in the museum. Exactly. In the museum.
1: Women with horns on the head.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. And that's not, that's not us at all. (laughs) So, um, but I never lost sight of it. It was always what I wanted to do. The acting came into play because I do have a love of theater and musical theater and, you know, when I was in high school, that's what I did. When I was in junior high, I did. Yeah, they weren't putting on Tosca. No, they were sure they? weren't. <laughs> no, no. So I've played some amazing musical theater roles as well. Yeah. I have a, I have a, a history there as well. And um... what sort of roles? I played Mother in Ragtime. Oh. Yes. So this is for high school? No, this was not in high school. No. This was this was in my, right before the opera thing started. Right. <laughs> um, and I, I was also, I have a, a relationship with the people for Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yeah. um, I was asked to join the company and I had to make a decision of doing Broadway or doing um opera, or doing San Francisco Opera's Young Artist Program, and I chose San Francisco. Yeah, so the acting degree came at a, at a point where I I had to decide whether I was going to stay home and help my mom take care of my ailing father, unfortunately, or what I was going to do if I was going to go do the auditions and, and all of that stuff. But I decided to, to stay home and get my degree in acting and it goes hand in hand with what I do for a living with what I do with opera. And yeah, I have amazing mentors because of that. And I, I have a different approach to my roles many times and, and sometimes conductors like that and sometimes they don't, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, uh it's me. It's, it's how I approach things. It's unique. It's, you know, acting, I love it.
1: So, when the 10 or 11 year old, you uh, sing Carmen and Tosca, and you decide, this is me, this is what I'm going to do mm-hmm. when I grow up, and telling the careers advisor, and everyone's laughing, are you already doing singing training?
0: At that point, that was when my mother asked me if I wanted to take voice lessons. Mm-hmm. She heard me one evening. I used to sing myself to sleep at night. And she, I know, random childhood thing. But she heard me one night, and the next morning, she asked me if I wanted to take voice lessons because she heard something special, and I said, yes, yes, sign me up, let's do it. So my extracurricular activities from the time I was a little girl were was music. I wish that I would have stuck with piano. I did not. I hated practicing piano, so I didn't. I still play a little bit, but but my extracurricular was music and then theater and um I played a little bit of sports too but that was my mom heard that in me and decided to nurture that side of me and I I credit her for that all day every day cuz she heard that and didn't push me. She asked me if I wanted to do that and was very supportive.
1: Mm. Did you ever need any additional encouragement you know after you'd been doing it for a year that it was oh this is getting too hard now or was it Never. always it always came easy?
0: Never. It always came easy. It always came. I won't say easy. It came as a joy. Hmm. I knew that it was my gift and I never took it for granted. I, I, you know, I'm very grateful that I was given the gift of music. And um, I believe when you're given a gift, it's your responsibility to nurture it and hone it. And and that's what I did. And that's what my mom encouraged me to do. And I never looked back.
1: Mm -hmm. Another piece of music now, Leah. We have uh, we've got well we've got uh, not vocal music, but uh, Samuel Barber. Tell us about this one.
0: Yeah, Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. It is one of the most profound pieces of music ever written, I believe, and it has saved me throughout my entire life. When I was a little girl, I sometimes would have nightmares, and um, I remember being a little kid and going through my dad's CD collection. And uh, he had the Leonard Bernstein um, recordings of of this on, I think it was the romantic hits or something. There are five big symphonic pieces on there. And I used to put that on, and this was the first track. And I could always calm myself down and make myself relax into into a nice space that I could fall asleep. And I would always, when that would happen, I would fall asleep on the couch, downstairs with this music going. And it's my calming place. It, it makes me picture heaven, picture joy and peace and serenity. One of the most profound pieces of music ever written, I believe. And it has saved me throughout my entire life. When I was a little girl, I sometimes would have nightmares and um, i remember being a little kid and going through my dad's cd collection and uh, he had the leonard bernstein uh, recordings of of this on i think it was the romantic hits or something there are five big symphonic pieces on there and I used to put that on, and this was the first track. And I could always calm myself down and make myself relax into, into a nice space that I could fall asleep. And I would always, when that would happen, I would fall asleep on the couch downstairs with this music going. And it's my calming place. It, it makes me picture heaven, picture joy and peace and serenity.
1: Leonard Bernstein conducting the New York Philharmonic Orchestra for part of Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings, the choice of my guest in conversation today, the soprano Leah Crocetto. It's funny what you're saying there, Leah, about uh, the music sort of relaxing you. I mean, I I sort of find that music can almost be like a sort of illicit substances that some people might choose to take, (laughs) like the right piece of music can completely change your mood. And you obviously feel the same way.
0: Oh, 100%. I feel the same way like we've talked about a little bit I, I am the kind of person that has a soundtrack for everything i have every aspect of my life i can relive by what music i was listening to at the time and that piece specifically just brings me such a calm about there's such a calm about it and it brings me right down to mellow and Yeah, I find music instigates a lot of emotion and a lot of feelings and a lot of memories. Yeah,
1: well, this this is the point where I should probably reveal that, um, unfortunately, the cab driver dropped you at a slightly (laughs) wrong location. So I'd be fascinated to know what the soundtrack was when you were texting me (laughs) saying, where is this cab driver dropped me?
0: I don't know (laughs) if I can say that on the air.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll have to save that one for another time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, the soundtrack exactly. to your life. <laughs> you, you touched briefly. You mentioned jazz. Yeah. Uh, in that last segment, you did want to be a jazz singer at one point, didn't you?
0: I, you know, I just wanted to be a singer. Right. You know, I, I love jazz. It, it's a, it's a huge part of my life still to this day. But you know. For our purposes today, I'm an opera singer. But mm. in reality, I'm a singer. I I love all, all kinds of music. I interpret all kinds of music. I'm an interpreter of music, you know. Jazz is very familiar to me. I think it's in my blood. My dad uh, introduced it to me when I was a child. And I feel as though... Jazz and bel canto go hand in hand. Jazz and coloratura specifically go hand in hand. Jazz is, there's a lot of improv. There's some formula, but there's a lot of improv that goes into it. Bel canto music is the same. It's, you know, essentially you have the option to rewrite coloratura and meet the conductor at the end. As long as you stay in those 10 or 11 measures of frantic coloratura, you make it your own and then you say, I'll meet you at the end, maestro, you know. And it's kind of the same as jazz. There's a lot of back singing, a lot of um, rhythmic changes that you make or improvisational moments that you have. And it's fascinating to experiment with other musicians in that field. Mm.
1: So how are you trying to get by uh, in in pursuing the singing career in those early days? I mean...
0: I was a waitress. Uh-huh. I was a waitress, and I would go They've down. They've written a musical the... about that, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have written a musical, which I love. By the way, it's a fabulous musical by Sarah Bareilles, who is another musical hero of mine. But um, yeah, I was a waitress, and then I waiting would go and, and going... do waiting tables, serving drinks, and then I'd run down to. When I was living in New York, I would run down to Restaurant Row and and find a club that was having an open mic night and jump in there and sing. I'd I did a lot of cabarets and a lot of, um, you know, the nightlife is is a hard life, and and singing cabaret is is it's not a moneymaker. It's you know, it's it's a very difficult life. So I mm. ultimately decided that's not what I wanted to pursue, but it's
1: because of the style of life or because of the the style yeah. of music. Mm. the
0: style of life, the mm. style of life. It wasn't what I wanted. But I still keep that. I still keep the jazz. And I, I, um, for instance, when I made my Carnegie Hall debut and did a recital there a couple years back, it was, I did a whole set of jazz standards at the end, because it's a part of me. Mm. It's a part of who I am. And um, I don't want to be boxed into opera mm. or art song. I want to be allowed to be creative and reach out and Maybe throw a musical theater piece on a program, you know, yeah, or throw nice. a blues in the night mm. on a program, or um, and you can
1: flip between the styles. Yeah, because I know vocal, it's quite a different um, thing, isn't it?
0: It's different, but it's you know, if you're technically sound and you can do it with with good good breath support and technique, there's no reason you can't. Right, you just have to be able to let go, and a lot of singers that have solely strictly um trained classically are very regimented and that there's nothing wrong with that that's excellent sometimes i wish i could be more like that but that's not me at all i i am a i'm an emotional performer i perform on on my sleeve what you see the character feeling is is how i'm going to perform and with jazz and musical theater and even pop music it's it's the same it's that idea of interpretation and and not being afraid to make the ugly sound and to let your vocal cords rest and your larynx drop or mess around with positions of you know the mm. the larynx and the the resonance and and maybe singing with a with a low soft palate and have not having being all technical here yeah. and not having your soft palate lifted yeah. in in one moment and it's it if you have good technique it's it's it doesn't hurt it.
1: So it's good technique also about keeping your voice sort of match fit. Absolutely. I and mean, how, how do you do that?
0: Absolutely. It, well, hydration is the number one thing as I sip my water here. Um, hydration, you have to be able to support an instrument, like especially an instrument. I can only talk about myself because I'm, I live in my body. But to support an instrument that is unamplified and that can be heard in Auditoriums that seat thousands of people without a microphone—you have to be strong. So I lift weights. I love to be. Oh, so physically strong. Physically, physically, strong. strong. physically strong. You have to be physically strong. You have to—you know—your lungs have to be working. So, the I'm—I was very happy to have the little walk here up the hill because. <laughs> Got the lungs. Got open. my lungs open. Yeah, exactly. So it's that it's it's doing your calisthenics or your vocal exercises, maybe not daily, but regularly. I don't sing every day, because sometimes the voice needs a rest, you know, um, but I'm constantly studying. There's constantly music going through my head. And vocal health is a very important thing to me. I'm kind of a nerd about it. I love to advise people about you know what what can help them because of what has helped me mm. yeah vocal rest is a huge part of that as well
1: mm. well some more music and uh, our next track is well got a very big contrast to the yeah. last one what have you got for us next
0: i have got for you stevie wonders isn't she lovely we're gonna visit motown a little bit
1: Stevie Wonder with Isn't She Lovely the choice of my guest in conversation today Leah Crocetto she's a soprano an opera soprano and Leah you've chosen uh, a pop song Uh, why did you want us to hear that one?
0: So you may see a theme going through my choices my parents and I have a very deep relationship My, my father has passed he passed in 2008 but when when I was born this song became our song and I you know Obviously, I didn't know it at the time, but as I grew up, my dad would play this. And he told me the story about how he played this when his firstborn daughter, me, was born. And um, it has always been a very special song to me because of that. Uh, It makes me think of my dad, who was one of my biggest musical influences. Um, That is one thing that I'm so grateful to both of my parents for is the rich musical history they gave me. And you can learn a lot about music and about performing from listening to these incredible R&B singers like Stevie Wonder. Um, You listen to his improvisation and how he just lets the spirit or the muse of music move him. And that's how I am. That's how Mm. I want to be. That's how I want to sing.
1: Your father was, uh, or at least the passing of your father was sort of around the same time that you were deciding to go to that San Francisco uh, Academy. Tell me about that time. Yeah,
0: it was the most difficult time of my life, but also the most incredible. And I look back on it and my father passed in April of um, 2008 and I joined Marilla in, in May of 2008, the Marilla Opera Program in San Francisco. And um, during that time, I had to make a choice as well to to go right after my father passed. I got a call from um, Phantom of the Opera, yeah, Phantom, as yeah. we discussed. And um, I had to make the choice. Do I do the opera thing? Do I do the musical theater thing? And I chose the opera thing. I felt like it was, it was my path. I felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, and then my career took off as soon as my dad passed. So I credit him with being my guardian angel and leading me, guiding me through my career choices.
1: Mm. I believe you had another audition uh, with the Met in New York. I did. Uh, and you were you were told that you weren't right for the chorus. That I... You were, I want to understand that you said so you weren't right for the chorus, but you needed to be a soloist. Now, tell me about that, because yes, that's a, that's will. an interesting division yeah, between the roles. Was,
0: that was an incredible eye opening experience. That was the year before, that was in 2007. Yeah. I was living in New York at the time and i was sick of waiting tables i had this voice i was like no more, i need... no more jazz
1: nights on restaurant row
0: <laughs> no exactly i want benefits i want this i want you know i want a regular salary i'm done i want health care yeah, exactly Healthcare. <laughs> give me health care i was done with it and so i decided to pull out my two arias that i still had memorized after my 5 year hiatus from opera <laughs> And they were Kielbe Sogno di Doretta by Puccini from La Rondine and Achich Fius from Mozart's Magic Flute. And I learned those two arias, brushed them up, and went and auditioned at the open call for the Met Opera Chorus. And the uh,
1: Dare I ask, were there like, like 20,000 other young women there? Oh, there were so there? many people there, <laughs> so
0: many people. But I went in. Of course, I saw a lot of friends that I had known in the past, and uh, I went in. I sang my arias. They didn't stop me. They wanted to hear both arias, They so they just sat there and listened. And then uh, the gentleman who uh, was in charge of the chorus before um, Donald Palumbo, said thank you so much that was a joy to hear you are not a chorus singer give me your materials because we're going to be hearing a lot more from you in the future mm. and at this point i had no idea how i was going to make that happen i thought you know my time was done i was 27 and i was i was like i'm too old for this now what how am i going to build a career on this but little did i know my voice type needed that time and needed more time to cook so to speak and so i trusted god and i trusted my my family and and i moved back home and uh, got back with my voice teacher and then my dad passed and then i did the audition for san francisco opera and it all took off.
1: And all because of basically an open audition at the Met. Yes. Uh, you weren't even waiting for that audition for like three years. No, it just, it just
0: randomly. It randomly. I literally mm. woke up one day and said, ah, let's see, <laughs> when are they having a chorus audition? Goodness me.
1: <laughs> uh, you've spoken a lot about your family and how mm-hmm. important they are. Um, and your father's unfortunately passed, but your, your mother's still with us. And, of course, you have you know friends and stuff back home. You travel the world for this job. Yes. What's it like being away from your loved ones? It's a long period of time,
0: it's very difficult. It's it's um, but because of the fact that I'm not the only one in this boat, you know, your cast and the people, the friends that you make along the way become your chosen family. I have such an amazing group of friends here because I think what we all went through last year together with being in lockdown together and um, the bond that I formed with the Aida cast will never die because we were together for almost four months performing in Melbourne and Sydney. And, you know, there's always that, that pang of, of longing to see family, um, to have my mom in the audience is the greatest gift because she is my biggest fan and my biggest critic. <laughs> <laughs> She, you know, honest critic is always honest. Good. Exactly, yeah. mm. she'll always say, "Well, that was really great, honey, but you were better the time before. So figure out what you did then and do it again." Well, it's constructive, you know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's constructive, and <laughs> and she always comes around with me. She was traveling; she would come to Europe with me before, right after my dad passed, and um, she doesn't travel so much across the world anymore. But but she's always so supportive, and my sisters as well. I have I'm the oldest of four. Girls, all girls, and um, they're my my um, my north stars. They tell me when I'm, you know, being Leah Crocetto soprano in quotation marks. Mm. They they keep me grounded. You know, they're like, shut the persona off, be yourself. And uh, so they've. It's kept good me- to have those people around. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> they've kept me humble and. Um, given me the best belly laughs that you can imagine. And it's really hard to be away from them, but we've gotten pretty good at it. We have, you know, a group text that happens all day long. (laughs) So here it's really in the middle of the night. So I wake up with like 500 texts from them, you know, but we're not out of touch, which is, which is really great.
1: So what is it that you like about coming to Australia specifically to perform?
0: I find the people here to be amazing everyone is kind and welcoming and there's such um there's such an atmosphere of common ground at at the opera center when we go to rehearsals everybody wants the best product and there is no real ego there's no room for that here I don't I don't find and it's it was different um here than it was in a lot of the the companies that I've worked with I I find Linden's ears to be impeccable and the the vocal choices that he makes in his casting are are second to none. I think he's a great impresario and opera is an international art form and he does a really good job of mixing international singers with local singers and it's beautiful. I just I love the community the community here and yeah, I love being in Australia. I I've, I've call it my second home because mm. I've A when I'm here, I spend at least 3 or 4 months here when I'm here. And then um B, the community that that I've developed with my dear Australian friends is just second to none. So
1: Awesome. Well, a little bit more music now and we're going back to the world of opera.
0: We are. The aria that changed my life, (laughs) Visi d'arte from from Puccini's Tosca. This one is performed by the great Maria (laughs) Callas.
1: Callas, the soprano for Visitarte from Puccini's Tosca. The choice of my guest in conversation today, soprano Leah Crocetto. Uh, Leah, why Maria Callas?
0: Well, Maria Callas is the greatest example of hard work and the greatest example of singing the character. You can hear the drama in her voice when she's singing this. Did she have the most beautiful voice? No, but she has the most recognizable voice. And the voice that transports you into the theater. When I listen to this specific recording, I, I hear the staging in her voice. I hear the, the drama, um, the pleading, the, the agony that she's going through in that moment. And it was life-changing for me. It's still the recording I I pull the go-to from. one. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the one opera recording that has remained on my rotation for fun.
1: Rather than for work. Exactly. <laughs> Do you know the soprano that you heard back when it changed your life? I can't. Do you know who it was? I don't
0: remember. Isn't no. that terrible? I don't remember. I, I should look that up one day. Um, it'd be good to try and meet it. It would (laughs) have changed my life. You're right. (laughs) It would, it would. I for me it was it was that moment, the Visi D'Arte, but it was also the Te Deum, the the moment of Scarpia singing his hypocritical prayer. And then, you know, later we find an act two him being a real cad. But the just the whole opera in general just it has everything. It's mm. a play. It's theater. There's nothing repeated. The the way that Puccini wrote the opera, the way that it's laid out for you is a play. If you take away the music, you still get the it story. Still works. Yeah. Yeah, mm. exactly. And that's such a great acting role. There, there's that those moments of silence at the end, well, silent singing. There's no singing. It's just music where the actor who's playing Tosca has to act has to be in the moment and you see all of the ritual come out with the the candelabras and the you know she's just murdered him murdered scarpia and you you see all of this stuff happening and she has to be able to fill that empty space with Mm. something other than her voice which for me was the thing it made me grab onto and i said i want to do that someday
1: (laughs) Now, your surname Crocetto. It's unmistakably Italian. Yes, right. Now, it's not the only language of opera, but certainly is the one most associated with opera. Were you already an Italian speaker before? No, you started op- no. so you, you weren't you didn't have Italian as a second language at no, home No, because you were a
0: kid? when my family immigrated to the u s, it the, that generation was such that, you became American. You you stop speaking your language. You learn English, and you only speak English. And they didn't really carry on the legacy of the Italian language. Um, my dad started learning Italian when I was a kid, and I used to sit with him and, and listen to his Italian on tape with him outside, You know, which was great. We were sitting on the back deck, and I have very fond memories of him with his cigar and the Italian language and a glass of wine so not not me with the wine him with the wine well at I least was, not then <laughs> yeah at least not then exactly but no but language has always come very easily to me and I mm. do I think it is because of my blood my Italian blood
1: <laughs> I mean so you are you're not just speaking sounds you're not just singing sounds you're, you're singing words
0: yes and you know a lot of people don't understand the concept of thinking in another language mm. but when you know what you're singing you don't like the the translation doesn't exist anymore.
1: Yeah, because the word just means the word.
0: Exactly, mm. exactly, and that's how it is for me in opera, uh, w- specifically with the roles that I've done a lot, mm. like Leonora. The the words I can't often say them in English. <laughs> you know, if if someone were to ask me to translate it on the spot, I'd be like, uh, uh, I can't. Yeah. You know, because it's so in me. But yeah, it. It, the Italian language is beautiful and it's musical in and in, in and of itself. So it's very easy to sing in mm. that language.
1: What about other languages? Because you know, sometimes you know, you, there's there's you know, Czech or whatever. There's yes, you know, German. There's Russian. Yes, there, there. I've
0: done a little of all of those. Um, I just did an all French concert right before I arrived in Australia, actually, which was so much fun because I don't get to sing a lot of French music. <laughs> Um, but I got to dabble in Thais land and um, do some Dupark and and Pulenk, which was just wonderful. So I love singing in the Romance languages. I've done a bit of Ruzalka as well, so I love doing the Czech. And Russian Rachmaninoff songs specifically speak to my soul. Mm. I have a very dear friend who- who um, says that that music that was composed with a black soul, and I must have a black soul because the, of the way I portray <laughs> that music. So it's a compliment. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, a Russian compliment. So, um, I which I take and run with. I'm, I I will I will perform with a black soul, no problem. So language in general is so interesting yeah. in such an art form alone. Yeah.
1: Back to the world of pop now with our next musical choice. What's this one, Liam?
0: This is a little quirky piece called Dancing in the Moonlight by King Harvest from, I think, 1974.
2: We get it almost every night And when that moon gets a big
1: in the Moonlight by King Harvest. The choice of my guest in conversation, Leah Crocetto, wonderful soprano. She's appearing with Opera Australia for Verdi's Il Travatore. Uh, there is something uh, delightfully cheerful about that. I mean, it goes back to what you said before. It's a sort of a soundtrack to your life, isn't yeah, it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I specifically remember, and again, I'm going to refer to my father. We were driving home from church one Sunday afternoon and I was really upset about something. And so my dad just said, what song makes you so happy? And I said, This song, because I had just heard it. I think it was on a movie or something. And I was, and I said, Dancing in the Moonlight. And I was like, What's your happy song, Dad? And his happy song was Beautiful Day by You Two. So we played our happy songs for each other, and my sisters were in the car, too, and they said something. I can't remember what they said. wasn't the point, because it was my dad's and my conversation, not theirs. (laughs) (laughs) But um, ever since then, that became the song that I put on if I'm in a funk. Yeah. And you know, us creative types, we are in funks sometimes. We are emotional people and sometimes you just need to put music on and dance it out in your living room, you know? <laughs> so when I need to do that, I put this song on and dance it out in my living room.
1: Yeah, well it's certainly a happy song indeed. Now the one thing Lee we haven't heard today is in fact yourself singing something. Yeah. And the thing that we're gonna go out with is actually a very special recording. It's not not normally, not available. It's a you, Thank you for providing this, but you've got to tell us what it is.
0: Yeah, so this is from a concert that I performed with my dear hometown orchestra, the Adrian Symphony Orchestra, and this is a song called Kissing You from Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And it, I remember when that movie came out, I remember I couldn't wait for, I saw it in the theater and then my friends and I rented it the day it came out on video from the Blockbuster you know we waited for the VHS and watched Are you
1: showing it? your age there know, if you're VHS.
0: Well actually I think this was DVD this was oh, DVD Okay
1: all right I take it back so, I take not it
0: Not VHS VHS ended when I was a kid <laughs>
1: But this goes back to that sort of concert days, yeah. Uh, well, of the of the mixing up up of the genres, and and I certainly hear from from listening to it. You know, it, it's a it's a pop star sound that you've got there. Thank you. You never yeah. wanted to to do that though. I mean, no. music. I theater.
0: didn't want to be limited, and I still mm-hmm. don't. You know, mm-hmm. the the music industry has changed so much over the pandemic, and in the past, just. The few years in general. And I, I feel like the time is now to get back into it, actually. So I, I do. And like I said before, when I do recitals, I always throw on pop songs or jazz songs or something else that fuels me creatively. And this is one of those songs. This is a a song that speaks to me in my heart. It, it, it pulls that romantic feeling from me. And I just... It it's just so beautiful. It's on an on operatic scale, mm. I would say, with the the way the the orchestration is. And I'll never forget seeing it for the first time. That the who was it? Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio sort of chasing each other around the ballroom and seeing each other through the the fish tank. And this beautiful singer Desiree is singing this song, and I just thought my God, I have to learn this song. So I did. I learned it on the piano and I learned how to play it for myself and I learned how to sing it and it's been with me since I was a kid and it's still, I'm, I'm still doing it to this yeah. day.
1: Well, you don't muck around, do you? No. Well, Leo Cotrino, <laughs> <laughs> Leo Cotrino has been absolutely fabulous talking today. Thank you so much for being oh, in conversation with thank me.
0: Thank you for having me, Simon. It's been wonderful.
1: Soprano Leah Crocetto. She's appearing with Opera Australia for the lead role of Leonora in Verdi's Il Trovatore at the Sydney Opera House from the 15th to the 30th of July. Get along to opera.org.au for tickets. That's all for In Conversation for today. Find us in your preferred podcast app so you can listen to the programme at a time most convenient to you. Just search 2MBS In Conversation. I'm Simon Moore on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. We'll go out with a bit of Leah herself singing. Kissing you from Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet.